Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Sometime in that afternoon that I was dying, um, I knew absolutely, but I didn't want to die because I was an atheist and I was, uh, I knew that uh, I was terrified of it because dying means the end of everything. I was a 38-year-old college professor. Um, my work was shown in some museums. You know, I'd won some prizes, you know, mm-hmm. and a wife and two kids and, you know, a career. And, and I, you know, one of the thoughts that kept going through, how could this happen? I went unconscious. I awoke from that. And I felt wonderful unlike I'd ever felt in my entire life. Wait, so you knew you died and suddenly you felt great? Well, I didn't know I'd died. I just, I'd been unconscious and now I feel great, you know? And where were you? Standing next to the bed, upright. And I, the first thing I was like, why do I feel so good? I just felt the worst I'd ever felt in my entire life. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't breathe, and now I'm like Superman. <laughs> and my eyesight, my hearing, my taste, and then... So, so you still don't know you're dead? No. And you feel I figured alive? This you feel I good? feel more alive than I've ever felt in my entire life. And, and your senses, you said, are heightened? Yeah, I mean, this world, ever since this experience, has been kind of a disappointment because this world is sort of dreamlike compared to the reality that I experienced in this. Mm. And... Uh, I heard people calling me um, in English, kind of nicely, you know, Howard, Howard, come here, come here. So I go over to the doorway of the room and in the hallway is gray. It's um, very unclear, like a terrible black and white TV picture. And there's men and women standing far away from the light of the doorway. I said, I'm sick, I need to have surgery. I've been waiting all day for a doctor. And they said, we know all about you. Hurry, come with us now. We can't wait any longer. Come, come, hurry. Howard Storm was a tenured college professor, an atheist who clinically died and then was resuscitated. And at first, it was all good, just like the other NDEs we've been talking about over the past few weeks. He felt wonderful. He felt, he said, like Superman, heightened senses, the whole bit. And there was also this nice welcoming committee. They were dressed like the hospital staff and they said, we're here to help you. Come with us and we will help you. And if his experience had ended right there, we would have said, everyone goes to heaven. It's all good. And that is exactly what early NDE researchers in the 1980s began to say. In fact, Dr. Moody, who coined the term near-death experience, prematurely wrote this. No one has described the cartoonist heaven of pearly gates and golden streets, nor a hell of flames and demons with pitchforks. And so in most cases, the reward punishment model of the afterlife is abandoned and disavowed. And initially, many Christians put NDEs in the category of satanic deception because of what many of the early researchers were saying. Unfortunately, few Christians took the time to really dive in and study them. 
But a man by the name of John Burke, who came to faith through studying these near-death experiences, has invested a lot of time and energy into studying NDEs. He's been researching this topic for the past 30 years. And he wrote a book called Imagine Heaven that quickly became a New York Times bestseller. Well, one of the individuals he studied was Dr. Maurice Rawlings. In the early 90s, Dr. Rawlings, a cardiologist who didn't believe in God or the afterlife, had a patient suffer a heart attack in his office while he was trying to put a pacemaker in. And here's what Dr. Rawlings said. The patient began coming to, but whenever I would reach for instruments and stop compression, he would lose consciousness, stop breathing, and die once more. Each time he regained heartbeat, he screamed, I'm in hell. He was terrified and pleaded with me to help him. I was scared to death. In fact, this episode literally scared the hell out of me. After several resuscitations, the man pleaded, don't you understand? I am in hell. Each time you quit, I go back to hell. Don't let me go back to hell. Dr. Rawlings said, I told him to keep his hell to himself until I can get this pacemaker in. But the man was serious. Pray for me, he begged. I told him, I'm a doctor, not a preacher. But the man kept insisting, pray for me, pray for me. Now, Dr. Rawlings said he didn't believe any of it, but he drew on the little church experience he had, and he had the man repeat a prayer, a simple prayer. Like, Lord Jesus, I, I ask you to keep me out of hell. Forgive me for my sins. I turn my life over to you. Well, the patient flatlined again, but then finally his condition stabilized. Well, Dr. Rawlings was shaken by all this, and so he started reading a Bible. And when he came back to the patient several days later, he asked the patient, tell me about these hellish things you experienced. And interestingly enough, the patient couldn't recall any of the hellish events, only the heavenly ones that happened after he flatlined the last time, after he prayed to Jesus with the doctor. Well, this ended up rocking Dr. Rawlings' world. He started doing his own research and wrote a book called Beyond Death's Door in 1993. And in this book, he theorized that many people have hellish NDEs, but subconsciously suppress the memory because it's so traumatic. Now, we've been studying positive NDEs, and a lot of people don't come forward and talk about them because they know people are going to think they're weird, and it's kind of a sacred experience. So imagine how underreported these hellish experiences are. And yet despite this, studies have found that 23% of NDEs that have been reported are hellish in nature. 23%. Dr. Penny Sartori, a British researcher, says, these negative NDEs are just as real as the pleasant ones and can occur in the absence of anesthetics. Dutch cardiologist Dr. Pin Van Lommel says this about them. To their horror, they sometimes find themselves pulled even deeper into this profound darkness. The NDE ends in this scary atmosphere. Such a terrifying NDE usually produces long-lasting emotional trauma. The exact number of people who experience such a frightening NDE is unknown because they often keep quiet out of shame and guilt. Okay, let's just be honest. That's disturbing. I mean, that disturbs me, and I'm sure it disturbs you as well. And I can totally see why many people don't talk about these hellish experiences. And I honestly don't want to either. But what I realize is that it would be the most selfish, unloving thing to do 
if these things are real and true. Because not only can we all avoid hell, but we can also learn from these people's experiences. In fact, I think studying them may answer our greatest question about God. God, how can you allow so much earthly suffering if you really love us? You know, Jesus taught that hell was just as real as heaven. In fact, there was a time when a Roman centurion who was raised in pagan idol worship put his trust in Jesus and believed that Jesus could heal his servant. And at the same time, there were these Jewish religious leaders who saw Jesus do all these miracles, but they rejected Jesus because of their pride. And Jesus said this in Matthew 8, 11 to 12. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus taught about this, that this outer darkness is real. But he also made it clear that God doesn't want anybody to go there. In Matthew 18, 14, he said, It is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Then why would anyone end up in hell? Well, Jesus told us that as well. In John 3, 19 to 21, he says this, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light. You know, Oxford professor C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist term believer, once said that he doesn't believe that God sends anybody to hell. Instead, he said, I willingly believe that the damned are in one sense successful, rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked from the inside. Listen to how Howard realized the truth of Jesus' words the hard way. Check this out. And I'm thinking, okay, they've come. They've come to take me to the doctor. This is great. The people, um, as I left the light of the room going into the hallway, um, encircled me and kind of started leading me in this direction. As we journeyed and there's no sense of time in any of this, so when I make time references, it's only for the purposes of trying to make a rational, sequential story out of this. As we went, it got darker and darker, and they came in closer and closer, and more and more of them were around me. And now, as I ask them questions like, where are we going, how much further, things like that, they started to become more rude and say things to me like, shut up, don't ask questions, you'll find out. You don't need to know. Keep moving. Keep moving. Move it. You know, like that. And I'm like, getting pretty intimidated. That becomes fear. That becomes terror. Now, this is over a journey of miles and miles and miles. And eventually, it's so dark, I'm aware I can't see anything anymore. It's pitch black. And I, I figure, I'm, I'm done. You know, I've had it. And so I said, I'm not going any further. And they said, oh, yes, you are. You've got further to go. And I said, I'm not going. And so they started to tug at me and push at me. 
what they were doing was just playing with me, toying with me. Um, and at first it was pushing, kicking, pulling, hitting. And then that became biting and tearing with their fingernails and hands. And they were taking pieces of me. And there was a lot of laughter, a lot of very foul language. And then they became more invasive. There has never been a horror movie or a book that can begin to describe their cruelty because their cruelty was pure, purely sadistic. I know that they got nothing out of it. It was simply something to do. And I'm very aware that they were so empty, so without compassion or feeling for me, that it was just amusement for me to scream and yell and fight back. The physical pain was pain from head to foot, just solid, horrible, acute pain on a scale of one to 10, 10 total didn't begin to match what I felt on the inside was, you know, um, having been taken down to nothing. I mean, the worst things that you could possibly imagine had happened to me and more. And in that place, I heard a voice which I identify as my voice, except that it did not come out of my throat, off my lips. But I do feel, I, it's strange, but I feel like it came out of my chest. This voice said, pray to God, and I thought, I don't believe in God, I don't pray. The voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't even know how to pray. I couldn't pray if I wanted to pray. The voice said, pray to God. And I thought, when I was a boy and had gone to Sunday school, we had been taught prayers. Um, what were those prayers? So I'm searching for anything that I remembered as a child. Our Father who art in heaven. I remember like these phrases out of prayers. And I start to mutter this stuff and the people around me absolutely can't bear it. And so in language that has never been heard in this world, obscene, filthy, vulgar language, they're saying to me the, the content of which is, there is no God, nobody can hear you, and now you are going to really be hurt. You think what you experience so far is something, wait until we've got for you now. Now, this made me want to pray more because for the first time I was able to hit back at them. The prayers were like clobbering. Well, they left me alone. So uh, now I have eternity, time without measure to think about my situation. And I thought about my life. And as I considered my life, which would take me days to talk over what I thought about, but sum it up with, as a son to my mother and father, I had failed them. I had not been a good husband to my wife, and you can use your imagination to figure out what that means, um, but it's, that's true, that's all true. Um, I had not been the father to my kids that I should have been, and I knew I hadn't because I was busy. I was trying to be somebody. You know, like the football games and the band concerts and the choral concerts and the theater performances. That could all wait, because I was 
busy being important. I was doing stuff, making myself into somebody, and I hated my life, and I realized that I belonged with these people in this place. The only problem was is I didn't want to be with those people because I knew that the only way to survive in this world, if you don't want to be a victim anymore, you've got to be meaner, crueler than they are. You've got to be the victimizer and not the victim. This memory comes of myself as a little boy sitting in a Sunday school classroom singing, Jesus loves me. And I thought, why would he care about me? Even if he is, why would he care? He must hate me. I'm so sorry. And I thought, enough of this. I'm done. I don't have anything else. Jesus, please save me. And when I said that, I saw a light, tiny little speck of light, and it very rapidly got very bright and came over me. And I saw out of the light, hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful white light. Those arms went on me and healed me. They went behind my back and he picked me up as if it was no effort on his part. He just gently picked me up and held me up against him real tight up against his chest. So there I am with my arms around him, his arms around me, and I am bawling like a baby. And he starts to rub my back like he wasn't saying they're there, but it was just like, like a mom or a dad with a child. And I knew, I don't, I don't know how I knew, but I knew that he loved me very much just the way I was. God loves you more than a mother or a father or anyone could, just the way you are. And that's true for all of us. And he doesn't want anybody separated from him for eternity. That's why Jesus goes on to say in John 3, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. You know, the sacred scriptures of the world's religions all warn about hell. The Buddhist scriptures, the Hindu scriptures, the Taoist scriptures, the Muslim scriptures, all of them. And the religious writings of the world's religions all say basically the same thing about right and wrong. And yet we all know nobody has perfectly kept the eightfold path of Buddhism or the five pillars of Islam or the 10 commandments or kept perfect karma, karma in life. We, we, we all know that, right? If we're honest, we all fall short. Now, each of those religions are different. I mean, they don't all say the same thing about God, not even close. And yet God claims that what he did in Jesus was unique. God said that because of his great love and mercy, he paid his own price for justice by sending his son to die on a cross for our sins. Why? So that all of us could be forgiven and he could be just to forgive anyone who wants forgiveness and eternal life. In other words, God has removed every barrier between every human being and himself. Every barrier except our pride. He won't force us to love him or trust him. But he's made it so simple. He says, whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. 
Now, the fact that some people have had a hellish near-death experience and then came back raises another key question. Does that mean that people have a second chance after death? I don't think so. In fact, in Hebrews 9.27, it says, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Well, then how do you make sense of this? Well, remember, these near-death experiences are not full biological death. They all came back. And we've talked about how many of them experienced a border, a boundary they knew they couldn't cross and still come back to earth. I believe that's the border into true eternity. And I think that's why these NDEers still have a chance to cry out to God and be made right with him. You see, God gives us every possible chance to be made right. So don't wait. Make sure you're right with God today. I mean, today is the day. By faith, just tell him, I want what Jesus did to count for me. I'm trusting you, Jesus, for forgiveness and eternal life. And you can do it to avoid hell, but I would encourage you to do it because God loves you more than anybody. And he knows you better than you know yourself. He wants what is best for you. All right, we still have a huge question to tackle. Why hell at all? Well, simply put, it's because some people don't want God to rule their lives. They want to rule. My will, my ways be done. You know, Jesus told us that hell was not created for people. It was created for fallen angels. And angels are just another species that God has created. They're eternal, but they also have a free will, like humans have a free will. God created both angels and humans to love and serve him forever. But in Ezekiel and Isaiah, it says that the most powerful, beautiful angel of all, Lucifer, which means the light bearer, he wanted to be God. So he tried to take over the throne of God in heaven. God couldn't have that. And so he cast him out of heaven. And the Bible says a third of the angels in heaven joined Lucifer in his rebellion. And they were thrown out as well. And by the way, that's the core temptation we've all fallen to as well, isn't it? Not listening to God thinking you know better than God, believing you know what's best for you, that God's going to ruin your life, so you've got to decide what is best for you. You've got to be God, right? Well, the Bible says that a third of the free will eternal angels made an eternal choice to follow Satan or Lucifer. And you see, when time is not linear, there's no such thing as a second chance. So they eternally chose not God, not God. And God gave them what they demanded. God created a place where they could rule apart from his light, his love, his life. And that's hell. It's where created creatures play God and try to rule and dominate one another, void of any of the love of God, victim or victimizer, just as Howard experienced. And Jesus said, those who consistently reject God and insist on playing God, one day we'll hear these words from Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, biblical scholars wonder if this is referring to annihilation, this eternal fire, this second death. And I've heard arguments for both sides. And while I'd like to believe people eventually go out of existence, there's not much indication of that in scripture. What is clear, however, is this. We have made the same choice that the eternal angels did. We made the same choice to turn from God and sin. We made the choice to go our own way and play God. But God gives humans a second chance 
and a third and a fourth, a lifetime of chances to turn back to him. And he provided a way through Jesus' death on the cross as payment for our sins. Because as he says again and again in scripture, he wants all people to be saved. All to be made right with him forever. Now you may say, well, if God is all powerful, why doesn't he just make it that way? Make it so everybody goes to heaven. Let me ask you a question. What then would God do with a Hitler or anyone who really doesn't want God's will and ways? What would God do with those who insist that they want to rule? They want their will and their ways. I mean, what would God do? Force obedience on a Hitler or or take away his free will? Well, then he'd be a slave, a prisoner of heaven. And if he lets a Hitler have a free will, then he'll choose his will over God's will. But the only place that can happen eternally is hell. You see, God knows all this. And friends, earth is perfectly suited to shape us into eternally free, loving children, a family of God forever. That's what he's doing. See, humans are not temporal creatures being punished with eternal consequences. That's a grave misunderstanding of earth and what's going on. We humans are eternal creatures, just like the angels. We live forever. But unlike the angels, God starts us in a temporal or temporary existence. As it says in Genesis, in the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, he's given us a taste of heaven where God's beauty and goodness and love and kindness still exist and a taste of hell where God remains somewhat hidden and he lets free will creatures, angels and humans do their own thing and use and abuse each other. He allows us to taste both, but a very diminished experience of both. That's why NDEers say they experienced heightened senses when they left this world by a factor of like 50 to 100 times. And God is doing this, I believe. He's allowing a certain degree of suffering so we will realize that God's will is what is missing here on earth. And so we'll turn back to God in love and begin now to forever choose God's will and God's ways. And I also believe that God assigns us guardian angels that many of these NDEers talk about, not only to minister to us, but also to record our lives because God is teaching the innocent angels about the knowledge of good and evil without them having to do evil eternally like the fallen angels. He's teaching them through us. I think that's what Ephesians 3, 10 to 11 is referring to when it says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan. You see, through experiencing the sufferings of earth, God is giving birth to eternally free children who eternally choose God because we will have the knowledge of good and evil forever behind us. And at the same time, he's also teaching the innocent angels the power of God's sacrificial love as we follow Jesus and overcome the evils and pains and sufferings of life with a similar love. Now, I need to pause here and give a warning that for some of you may sound a little strange for me to say. Do not believe every NDE or every spiritual experience. Why? because deception is real on the other side. Jesus taught this. In John 8, 31 to 32, he said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
In other words, Jesus' words are always true. But in verse 44, talking about Satan, Jesus says, he has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character for he's a liar and the father of lies. Evil is real and deception is real as well. And it's really important for us to understand this. Don't trust individual NDEs or angelic messages or anything that contradicts what Jesus has taught. Now, I've had people say to me, well, you know, DMT or LSD or peyote, these produce similar experiences as these NDEs. Interestingly, Howard Storm actually took LSD and he said it was nothing like his NDE. But maybe these gateway drugs really do open a gateway to the spiritual dimension. If so, warning, I mean, you're going in there unprotected and you can be deceived. That's why God tells us not to do that. You might remember that these heavenly welcoming committees we've talked about over the past few weeks, NDEers knew they were there not only to welcome them, but to protect them. They didn't know what they were protecting them from, but this is it deception on the other side. So you're opening yourself up to a spiritual world that can deceive you, just like Howard experienced. That's the same with trying to seek out-of-body experiences like astral travel or contacting the dead or looking for spirit guides. God warns us, don't do it. Isaiah 8, should the living seek guidance from the dead? The implication is no. Look to God's instructions and teachings. Look to God's word. It's why he gave it to us. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. In other words, test everything by God's word. And even if it's some angelic spirit guide or deceased person who seems really nice and really good and really wants to help you, remember this, the best lie is 90% true. So it seems good, but it's not. And 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, he wants to look really good, but he is deceptive. Now that can lead to another question. Some of you may be asking, how do you know this God of light or this being of light is not Satan in disguise? It's a good question. I think for a couple of reasons. One, Christian NDEers experience this God of light as Jesus. And they say Satan couldn't fake that kind of love. But the fact that they identify him as Jesus leads to the second thing. You know, don't believe any being of light that contradicts Jesus and what Jesus has revealed. In fact, it says that in the Bible. 1 John 4 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. You know, as a pastor, I've had some people tell me that they didn't go seeking any of this, but they've had angels or people who had deceased contact them. Well, test them. Ask, do you acknowledge Jesus as Lord? And if not, Tell them to be gone in the name of Jesus. You have that authority. John Burke tells a story of a time when he was speaking in Brazil. This is what he said. I had a pastor and his wife share their near-death experience with me in Portuguese. They had lost their teenage son and the wife became so despondent she couldn't let go. She couldn't finish grieving and she was holding on to him and fell into a deep depression. 
Over the next two years, she started taking all these medications. Well, she accidentally mixed medications and had an overdose and died. And she said, an angel took her into the presence of Jesus and Jesus showed her her son and how happy he was to be there. And the angel said, you must let go of him. You still have work to do. And he sent her back. Well, she still for the next six months could not let go of him. And as she was describing it, Burke says, I'm thinking it was kind of an obsession, like an idol she was holding on to. And then she said that one day her son came bursting into the house and plopped himself down on the couch, just like he used to do after school every day when he was alive. And at first she was overjoyed. She couldn't believe it. So she goes up and puts her hand on his head and starts to rub his hair, just like she used to every day. And then the angel that was with her in her near-death experience manifests and says to her, you know, that's not your son. She just stares. The angel says again, you know, that's not your son. And finally she says, I know. And as soon as she said that, her son turned into a demonic presence and the angel takes it and they're both gone. Mm. People, deception is real on the other side. Evil is real, hell is real. And when we understand all this, it helps us to understand what's going on on this earth as well. And it helps us answer the number one question people have about God. I mean, how can a loving God allow so much suffering on earth? I mean, I wouldn't do that to my children. That's what people say, right? You know, either God is not loving or he's not all powerful or he isn't good or maybe he just doesn't exist. Or maybe there's another option. In his book, Imagine Heaven, John Burke tells the story of a time when his daughter Ashley was five years old. And she fell head first from about five feet up and hit her head on the tile, cracked her skull. This is what he says. It was the worst night of our lives. We rushed her to the hospital. They had to shoot her with dye and do a CAT scan and found bleeding under her skull, which meant the next day they had to shoot her with a dye again to do another CAT scan because if that bleeding pressured up, it could kill her. So they're going to stick her with a needle and she starts to scream and thrash and looks at me and says, Daddy, they're going to hurt me. Don't let them. Stop them. And the doctor looks at me and says, Dad, you have to hold her down. And I had to pin my little five-year-old down as she's looking at me with terror saying, Daddy, why are you doing this? Why are you letting them hurt me? Stop. Don't let them hurt me. Why, Daddy? And she's crying but I'm crying too. I'm suffering with her. Why would I let her go through that? Because I love her. And I know something she doesn't, that this temporary pain and suffering can keep her from something far worse. And I want her to be with me for all of life. Burke concludes by saying, friends, that's God's motive eternally. I'm convinced of it. A lady named Crystal went through horrific sexual abuse as a child. Her parents divorced and then she had an abusive stepdad. But in the middle of that, she came to faith in Jesus and got baptized. But when the abuse continued, she thought Jesus hadn't really saved her. So she turned away from God and said she ended up breaking every one of the Ten Commandments. But she said she always wanted to ask God, why? Why? And then she got the chance. Listen to what she discovered. When I died at the age of 33, 
I died with a lifetime of secrets and shame that went with me. Things that I had never told anybody, um, especially the sexual abuse that I endured as a child from the ages of three to 12. I always thought, you know, if he's real, I've got some questions for him. What kind of God are you? Where are you? How do you love a child and watch that kind of abuse happen? When I died and when I found myself in this beautiful light with angels standing to my left and the presence of God to my right, and I turned to face him, I fell straight to my knees and then went straight to my face and I cried because he touched me knowing who I was and who I had been. And he wrapped this love around me. And I put my hands up and I said, why didn't I do more for you when I was there? I always thought it would be, why didn't you love me? Why weren't you there? Why did you abandon me? And in that moment, all knowledge was given to me. And I knew that he had loved me. And he told me over and over how much he had loved me. He explained that the abuse that I had suffered, the horrendous things that I had gone through as a child were not done at his hand. That he gifted humans with free will and that it was the free will of a human who that had hurt me, but that he had never abandoned me, that he had never left me in those moments that each time I called out for him, he was right there with me. And he freed me from a lifetime of shame. Because when he chose to touch me and to love me, I knew that he did so knowing everything about me. Not only what had been done to me, but what I had done. And I was free. And I wanted to be with him for eternity. You know, God wants us to love him and trust him and follow his will. But people don't. And he allows it to go on for a short amount of time, a reduced experience, because he wants us to realize it's God's will, God's love, God's life that is missing on this planet. So we'll turn back to him and follow his will more and more and more. But people, he enters into the suffering with us. Jesus was a suffering servant who died for us all. And he enters into our sufferings today so that we'll follow him all the way to the other side and overcome evil with good. And one day in God's presence, just like Crystal saw, it'll all make sense and justice will be done. So how do we bring more of heaven's will to earth today? Well, first, God's will is for everyone to choose to be his child. So put your faith in him. Receive his free gift of forgiveness and eternal life based on what he did for you on the cross. Say, Jesus, I am not trusting in myself, my good works, or anybody or anything else. I'm putting my trust in you to save me. That's the first step. And that's the difference between heaven and hell. Now, the second step is to commit to follow him, follow his ways, to trust him with your day-to-day -day choices. You know, chances are the things you hate about this life are because God's will is not done here on earth. 
God's perfect will is not being done. And that causes grief and pain in our lives and the lives of those around us. So don't make things worse by following your own ways. Don't let evil fool you into thinking otherwise. Start seeking God's will on a day-to-day basis. And then third, when you suffer, when you go through trials or evils done to you, follow God through it. Overcome evil with good and know that as you cling to him through the trial, he's making something good of it for you. And it'll be clear in eternity. The bottom line is this. God's will is good. It's the best. It's what is missing here on earth. It's what life is really all about. So study his will. Study what he wrote in the Bible. Study the words of Jesus. Embrace them. Get in a small group or join a Bible study here at our church so we can all grow together and become people who really let God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we know it's the best way. Okay, next week, we're going to wrap up this whole series by talking about the city of God. And what is that going to be like, right? Is it going to be music there, dancing, laughter, fun, games, video games, sports, even soccer? Well, come find out next week. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, having discussed this very serious topic, of hellish experiences and the reality of hell. I would just like to give an opportunity for everybody to trust in you. And if you're listening to me right now and you're not sure that you have a relationship with Jesus, it's as simple as in the quietness of your heart saying, Jesus, I'm not trusting in myself or my own good works. I'm trusting that you paid the price for my sins. And I'm putting my faith in you for forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for that gift. Thank you that I'm now your child. And God, as Christians, we want to be people who live more and more just to do your will every day here on this earth. God, would you protect us from the schemes of evil, the lies, the deceptions all around us and help us to to know your word to know it well so we can identify those lies and cling to what you say is true. And my prayer, Lord, is that you would help us to be people who are always growing in our ability to love and serve you by loving and serving the people we encounter in our lives day in and day out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.